The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome to another uh, program of Museum Life. This is Carol Bossert. And today's program, I should probably just call Taking a Pause. We're going to be talking about slowing down, and looking carefully, and I have a great guest uh, with me uh, that I have found just truly inspirational. He is the founder and CEO of Collaborative Gain, and he runs the Councils, a collaborative network of senior digital leaders, which he began in 2002 with Marissa Mayer and others. Phil Terry has written about collaboration and the power of asking for help in the Harvard Business Review and recently published a book, Customers Included, about learning from and collaborating with customers. I'm going to let Phil give a little bit more uh, information and fill in the blanks about his uh, career trajectory and what has brought him uh, to the museum world and onto my show, but I do want to say that uh, Phil is known for two innovative nonprofits, uh, creating collaborative communities in art and literature, and one of those is Slow Art Day, which I am sure many of uh, those listening to this program are familiar with because it is a global phenomenon. So, without further ado, uh, I want to introduce Phil. Phil, thank you for being on my show today. Carol, I'm honored. Thank you so much for inviting me, and thank you for doing this program. It's such an important contribution to the art and museum world. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Phil, if you wouldn't mind to just sort of ground uh, our listeners and let them get to know you a little bit better, could you describe your career trajectory and especially those experiences that have shaped your current uh, interest in museums? Absolutely, Carol. And before I do that, if if you don't mind, I just want to say that uh, for those of you listeners who are museum professionals, uh, we at Slow Art Day have a lot of respect for you and what you've created. You are who makes Slow Art Day work around the world. And uh, Carol mentioned I have a book out, uh, Customers Included, 
And for those museum professionals in the United States, I'd be happy to send you a free copy of my book, Customers Included. Uh, this is a book I've uh, written about customer and visitor experience, and I've been to Apple and Google and Microsoft and a bunch of other companies on a speaking tour. So if you email me at pterry at slowartday.com, P-T-E-R-R-Y at slowartday.com or at pterry at gmail.com, either one works, my team will, will get you a copy of that book. And, Carol, if you don't mind, I'll add one last thing, which is I'm on a speaking tour, and I'm in visiting a lot of cities around the country and world. And uh, if you'd like me to come speak at your museum pro bono, I'd waive my speaking fee. Um, I'd be very happy to do that. I'd love to meet the leadership teams of these museums that participate in Slow Art Day and share what we've learned about including customers and, and visitors. So I just, I, if you didn't mind, Carol, I wanted to, to say that and, offer that to your listeners. Oh, absolutely. Phil, thank you so much. What uh, generous offers. And we uh, we will repeat that uh, contact information about halfway through the show. And it will also great. be on the Museum Life website uh, oh, uh, for this for this program. This is a this is a wonderful opportunity. And I am sure as uh, listeners get to know you, they will you they will be clamoring for your uh, mm-hmm. uh, your advice and uh, encouragement. Yeah, thank you, Carol. And you know, Flow Art Day 2015 is just, we were talking about that earlier, just happened Saturday, April 11th, 2015. We had 205 museums and galleries from all over the world, from Shanghai to Brooklyn, from Paris to Ghana, uh, participate. And I, I just want to share, we'll get into this more in the program, but if you don't mind, I want to share just a glimpse of, of what we heard uh, from these museums and their visitors. Oh, please um, do. The Museum of Fine Arts in Houston uh, participated this year for the first time, and they just wrote and said it was a great conversation. Everyone was so engaged. You know, the way Soul Art Day is designed, typically you'll look for 10 minutes at uh, each of five pieces of art and then have a conversation either at that uh, moment looking at the art or at the end, and they they said how engaged people were in it, and that they'll definitely participate in the future. And, th- and this is what we hear: the it's so remarkable. It's just this simple idea: just put someone in front of a piece of art and ask them to spend some time with it, and without anything else, and they have they have a great experience, and they have a lot to say. The the Harvey Gantt Center for African American Arts and Culture in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, did something really creative. So one of the things that we're seeing is these museums and galleries and artists and docents are are being so creative in how they design their local events. So they had the Kinetic Works Dance Company uh, there in Charlotte uh, interpret one of the art pieces that they had selected for Slow Art Day. So uh, as I understand it, the dancers came, they you know spent some time with that art, they built a dance around it, they then performed that on Slow Art Day for the participants who watched the dance and then went to the galleries and looked slowly at the at the art that had inspired the dance. Like wow. I wow, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, isn't that incredible? That's very very incredible. And, you know, I know you're in D.C., Carol. The, um, the National Museum of Women in the Arts um, 
also participated this year. I think it was their second or third year. And one of the things we hear from educators and curators is how the simple act of slow looking allows non-expert visitors to create a relationship with the art and, and a relationship with the museum and conversations that, you know, just blows them away. So, so she said, we had a wonderful experience this year. We had a, a lively, fruitful, reflective discussion about works in the museum's collection that people have looked at. And then she said, parenthetically, I'm thrilled to say my visitors pointed out things I had never noticed myself, which, of course, you know, is the case, and it's so thrilling to discover that. And for the visitor to discover that, for the educator, the curator, um, and, and she said, and this is what we hear from people, educators and the guests all the time, I feel rejuvenated. Those were her words. You know, this is, this is the complete antithesis of what we often hear about museum legs or being tired at the end of a, of a trip. People are on fire. They're excited. Um, so it, it's just uh, I'm, I am very happy given, uh, given how this has grown and how much people all over the world have embraced it, brought their own creativity, their own museums, vision and relationships and communities together to, to do that very simple and profound thing of, of just spending some time looking, of course, at this art that we all care uh, so much about. Well, I'm, I'm energized uh, already, <laughs> and, and, and I knew about it. Uh, when, uh, so you said uh, 200, um, 204? And five. Per, yeah. five 205 uh, museum participants uh, in 2015. So when, did, when was yeah. the first Slow Art Day? When did you start this yeah. program? So, yeah, look, can I tell you a little bit about how it started then? Oh, um, please do. So, Great. So, you know, Carol, as you and I have talked before, I don't come from the art world. Uh, originally, I'm, a, I'm an Internet entrepreneur, right, and uh, was involved in the first wave of, of the dot-coms back in the 1990s, uh, worked early on for a company called Planet All, which was one of the first companies that Amazon bought, um, ran for 15 years my own uh, Internet consulting firm, which I sold um, just over a year ago. But I didn't come from, I'm, you know, I'm this business guy, right? And um, like 75% of the U.S. public, I didn't often go to art museums. As I was looking at that stat a couple of years ago. You know, 25 or 26% of Americans report going to an art museum in the last 12 months, right? Which is like, oh, my God. That means most of our uh, potential audience isn't coming. And, and like, I, so I didn't, end, you know, grow up uh, going to museums. Uh, but my wife did. And she grew up here in New York, and her mother is an artist. And when we started dating in the 1990s, she started bringing me to art museums. This is not surprising. By the way, women go, of the people who do go, women go more often than men. Um, and she started, and, you know, perhaps dragging me might be a more apt description, at least at first. Um, but after a time, I started to develop some sensibility and some, you know, I mean, how could you not spend time in the museum and not fall in love with art. And in 2008, uh, we went to an, uh, an exhibition at the Jewish Museum in New York called Action Abstraction. Um, and I really, I it was about the New York school, and I loved it so much I went back on a Saturday. By the way, for, for any of your listeners who don't know this, if they're in New York and, and they want a great art experience, the Jewish Museum is open and free on Saturdays. And hardly anyone is there because they think it's closed uh, for Shabbat. But it's not. It's open. 
and uh, and there's no commerce, so they don't charge. Um, so I went back on the Saturday, and uh, just to look at, you know, I didn't have any intention of slow looking. I, I didn't have that vocabulary yet, but I um I, I passed by Hans Hoffman's painting Fantasia, which is from early 1940s. And I, I liked it. And I, and, and I don't know why, but it came to me. I said, why don't I sit down and really look at this? I said, let me look at this for an hour. I've never done that before. I, I don't know why it exactly occurred to me to do at that time. I had, for 15 years, I did yoga and meditation, and so I'm sure that was part of it. Um, after an hour of looking at that painting, uh, it, it blew me away. I was not prepared for how deep an experience that would be how joyful, how interactive, how engaging, how much more I saw. And all it required was to simply look. There was nothing that the museum had to do, no uh, new physical design that had to uh, be put in place. I just had to sit and look. And that was such an invigorating experience, I decided, see, I was an Internet entrepreneur, I am an Internet, and I know a lot of people in the Internet world, I've done things online, to uh, create different kinds of movements, and I said, "Well, why don't why don't we why don't we do so? Why don't I reach out to my friends and see if we can't help more people have that experience?" Uh, so I reached out to my friends at Google and other companies and asked them to help me do this and test it. So in the fall of 2009, we got volunteers in the U.S. and Europe. Not actually anyone officially affiliated with the museum, because remember, I didn't at the time have any of those connections. Uh, and I said, let's run a beta test, right? So I'm using the vocabulary of the world that I come out of. And so people just picked 16 museums in the United States and Europe in their local neighborhoods. They picked five pieces of art, and they invited their friends to come out. And that was it. We didn't do anything else. I didn't give them any additional prep. I said, pick whatever art you want, by the way. They said, which, which art should I pick? I said, pick whatever you want. They said, well, how should we moderate the conversation? I said, just Asked them to look for 10 minutes at each of five pieces of art. That was the design I came up with, the beta test. And then my guess is if you just ask them what they think and get out of their way, you'll be, you'll be blown away. And um, so they said, okay, great. Uh, and uh, I reached out afterwards. How did it go? Oh, it was fantastic. Like, wow. It, these were non-museum professionals, by the way, bringing other non-museum professionals into the museum to look slowly and without any additional design effort around it, and they had a great experience. Um, all 16 events went really well. And so I said, holy moly, let's, let's really do this. So we had the first official Slow Art Day, to finally answer your question, Carol, in, um, in April of 2010. So this year, April of 2015, was our fifth annual uh, official Slow Art Day. Well, it does sound like it has just, it has taken off. And I, I love the expression, whether you're in the internet world or, or the museum <laughs> world or in the education world, just get out of the way yeah. is probably one yeah. of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given. And, uh, <laughs> and it sounds as if it was working well for you, uh, yeah. you too. Um, you know, I think that this is a good time to take our first of two breaks. And when we come back, we can launch into more aspects of Slow Art Day, both what it means to you personally and uh, uh, how it is affecting our field in general. 
uh, and we'll also make sure, Phil, that we talk, uh, uh, give that information, uh, contact yeah. information that uh, that people can uh, get in touch with you and take advantage of your generous offers. So we will Thank be you. right back. Stay tuned. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Lots of people talk about publishing their work but have no idea where to start. If you are one of these aspiring authors or know somebody who is, don't miss Publishing Today Radio with Athena Dean Holtz. Thought leaders, business owners, entrepreneurs, and in general, storytellers all want to get their messages in print. And that includes branding and marketing. Athena and her guests are here to answer your publishing questions and more. Tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bosser at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life. And I am here today with... uh, Phil Terry, who has been the inspiration and organizer behind Slow Art Day. And before break, Phil was sharing with us how he was inspired to, uh, to develop Slow Art Day and true to his background as an internet entrepreneur, actually did a beta test uh, in mm-hmm. the museum world. Phil, we call that prototyping, but it's all the same thing and it works so very, very well. Um, but now, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to shift gears a little bit, and you knew this yeah. this was coming, and you've prepared. Um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, both the philosophical and and really intellectual underpinning about uh, looking slowly and what it yeah. really means to individuals and societies. Yeah. So. Carol, I think you know this is this is such a rich topic, and um, 
you know, I talk, I talk to the to the hosts from from the museums around the world about this quite regularly because there is a there's a bit of a paradox a paradox at play here, which is that the actual design of a slow art viewing experience can be profoundly simple. You know, get out of the way and ask people to look slowly. But the the philosophical and theoretical underpinnings here are are far more, I think, rich than that may suggest. So, you know, look, there there are a number of things that are going on today in our culture that I think our response to the multitasking kind of swipe culture that we have, a culture that I've been a part of from the vantage point of being an Internet entrepreneur, but I'm also someone, I think like many people, who cares about what can we do to create more more meaningful experiences and more real connections. And, you know, um, all of your listeners know this, Carol, as do you, um, but art predates, obviously, not just modern civilization, but the written word. It, it predates the abstraction of language and symbols and alphabets. The written word, just to remind ourselves, is relatively new. It's generally agreed that that true writing of language, not just numbers, was invented independently in, you know, Mesopotamia around and around Sumer, 3200 BCE, and Mesoamerica independently of that around 600 BCE. It also began in China around 1200 BCE, but uh, perhaps independently. It's, there's some debate about that. But the the point is that. Art is far, far older. Um, Homo sapiens, our species of Homo, started around 200,000 years ago. And the oldest sculpture and portrait, what what we would call art, uh, is around 42,000 years old. So we humans started making art about 40,000 years before we started writing and before we started civilization and, you know, a good 30,000 years before we became farmers and the agricultural revolution. So this is important to note because the revolution in writing made possible much of advanced civilization that we have today, science and philosophy and literature, at least the non-oral version of storytelling, mathematics, computer programming, of course, and so on. And it made possible certain kinds of thinking and ways of understanding, certainly primarily logic and advanced categorizations. Now, when I started Slow Art Day, I discovered something, and it awakened in me something when I look slowly and contemplatively at a piece of art that I think taps into this much older history. Um, it's, it's hard, in fact, and, and one of the interesting things about this, Carol, is it's hard to write about the experience of looking slowly at art. Uh, in fact, it is, in general, I think, hard to write about art um, I've, I've been on a mission to find art that I think is written from this joyful, engaged, emotional place. There's a lot of academic writing and, 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 and important and good writing that's done there, but it's actually challenging to capture the emotional and visual experience of looking at art. Um, this is we, we actually we don't quite have the words for it. Again, written language came, came many thousands of years after we started art, and I think art in some ways is, is more fundamental and at least taps into a different piece of the human experience than the society we've built today, which is has a lot of language, and I love writing. I'm a writer myself. I, I love to read, but it's not 
the only part of the human experience that we need to focus on and celebrate. And so I think Flow Art Day is certainly an antidote to multitasking, and we can talk about that and what we've learned about how multitasking doesn't work, actually. Um, but it's also, it's also an antidote to, I think, how overdetermined we've become as a species by, by this wonderful relative newcomer writing and, and numbers and so on. But it's, it's, not, it's not the only thing that we, we should be care about. I love that, that term, Phil. Uh, yes, it makes yeah. perfect sense. I love that term, overdetermined. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not, it's not, yes, it's a great term. It's not just overachievement. Uh, you know, yeah. one of the things that I think is so very interesting, and you and I touched upon it as we've talked before, and what really intrigues yeah. me about this whole slow art day movement is that it is unapologetic. Uh, in yeah. saying, here's what we have to offer, and you may come in and you can experience it any way you want to. Yeah. There's no right way or the wrong way. Uh, certainly not everyone is going to be comfortable with that approach. Uh, some people may need a little bit more framing of the experience or feeling welcome into into the institution yeah. but one of the, the the things that I have uh, found as I've talked to a variety of, of guests on this show is that unfortunately we often as museum professionals seem to apologize for what we have you know, uh, oh, this, yeah this you know this idea of well we just have objects. Well, yes, you do have objects. That's what make you a museum. You have objects and ideas (laughs) uh, that that need to be communicated. There's no just. Just does not belong in that sentence. Yes, exactly. Right. We We don't need to teach. Here's a provocative statement, Carol. Look, I don't think we need to teach people how to look at art. I think we need to get them in front of art and shut up. Now, I do believe that there is enormous value to art history and to what educators have learned and curators have learned, and I think the public can really, really want that even more than we've experienced today, but, but, but I think we have gotten it sometimes upside down. So, in other words, if we can create experiences where people have the direct experience of art, experiences we have no reason to apologize for, Carol, and allow them to have that human response to that piece of art created by another human being that is speaking to them in a nonverbal, nonwritten form of language, um, then that triggers a motivation and a curiosity to learn more, which is when people are then ready for the books and the lectures and the stuff that we have created that is so important and powerful. But I would contend that we need to have a lot more of this unapologetic, direct experience of the art itself. Does that that make sense? No, it makes it makes perfect sense. And as you know, Phil, my background is uh, uh, not in art uh, per se. I, yeah. I'm, I'm trained as a scientist. And but yeah. so, what your thoughts uh, bring to my mind are the writings yeah. of the early naturalists, and 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 even not yes. so early naturalists. I mean, Barbara yes. McClintock, who received the Nobel yeah. Prize in oh, I think the 1980s, because of of her groundbreaking research on how 
pieces of DNA can um, move move around, uh, let's just say, in looking yeah. at corn. Uh, at and basically, uh, her entire discussion is it took her years because, of course, she could only look at something for one season. And then, you know, yeah. corn grew and she did what she needed to do and she did her experiment and then she had to wait for nine months. And it was during that waiting, thoughtful period that she was able to really assimilate uh, her ideas or yeah. uh, and and I and I yeah. so I think that this this and again building on what you said building curiosity saying well what yeah. if what do I do yeah. and so I think that these looking skills are uh, looking skills maybe provide emotional satisfaction but observational skills also provide emotional satisfaction and build curiosity yeah. which does yeah. seem to be one of the uh, big trending topics right now in all aspects of society, whether you're in business or in education. Right. Everyone's very concerned about a uh, generation growing up that doesn't seem to be very curious, and we don't know why. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I, I've met some curious millennials, and I'll say that I think as a, whether you're young or old, um, what we have learned in education and in other contexts, as you're saying, is if people have the motivation to learn, if they become motivated to learn, if they become curious, you, you know, that's the whole ballgame. Then just get a, you know, then everything is possible. And on the other hand, if people are not motivated to learn, if they're not curious, it doesn't matter what you say, it falls on the proverbial uh, deaf ears. And so, um, you know, what I think we tripped into initially by accident and then by a lot of work subsequently is that, um, is that this is one way to engage an audience and to, mot- and, and to create an experience where they become motivated themselves, where they motivate themselves. So there's, you know, when we talk later, one of the, one of the curators sent in a note. Uh, it was it was so perfect. It's exactly. They said, "I was fascinated." This direct quote with how many of the comments. This is talking about the recent Slow Art Day uh, experience they created at their at their museum, and the, and the curator ran the discussion. And he said, "I was fascinated with how many of the comments got right to the heart of the works." And you know, it, it's a, what these people hadn't read anything ahead of time. They, they didn't necessarily have any context about the artist or the, or the artwork itself, but they had spent 10 minutes looking, and, it, and their comments went right to the heart of the matter in a way that surprised the curator. And that's exactly what we find, is that people, wow, they, by simply looking, and simply is, is uh, you know, there's a lot going on there when they're looking, but by looking and, and being intent and spending some time with a piece of art, they see things and can have a conversation uh, that is far deeper than if they've just spent an hour listening to a lecture about that art. Again, I'm not opposed. I love lectures, but the lectures are even more meaningful after you've looked than, uh, than, you know, as an introduction to the the artwork or to the whole uh, topic. You know, what... The other thing that occurs to me, Phil, is uh, yeah. that 
that we as museum professionals, uh, I mean, we, uh, m- most of us, I think, would agree with you that, that the reason that we got into the field is that we have a love of objects, whether it's art yeah. or science or history. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we just, we gravitated to it and, and, and we love it yeah. and we want to share that with others and, of course, can sometimes become disappointed uh, when not everyone is, is on our same vibe, uh, which is yeah. true of any, anyone who wants to share a, a passion and You know, sometimes we get uh, uh, sort of sidetracked on this, but it does, um, it sort of, it it causes a dilemma. I don't know, uh, two weeks ago I had Seb Chan on the uh, program. He is the uh, director of digital media at the uh, uh, Cooper Hewitt, and we were talking about his, you know, developing this technology uh, for looking at design at the Cooper Hewitt. And one of, one of his comments was he knew that he didn't want to just do, you know, create some kind of cell phone app uh, because people tend to then look at the cell phone. And he said, particularly in a historic building, he was afraid that they would trip. So, (laughs) so, you know, that was very practical and he had some other ideas too, but, but, you know, this idea that the floors are a little uneven. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) But, but, but we have this tendency now to focus so much on those things that are in our hands or now on our wrists that it, uh, we don't look up. We don't look up. And this is so, so, you know, it's, it's sort of interesting, right? I come out of that world. Um, you know, I, I've spoken recently at Apple, worked closely um, with people there over the years, uh, you know, I, I, and I love digital technology. And um, from day one, I've said with Slow Art Day, um, this is primarily about getting people in front of the actual object, in front of the art itself, not mediated by the technology, so they can have that human experience of the art directly. And, you know, so people will say to me, well, what if we did this online? And, you know, we've got a Tumblr with 60,000 followers and a Facebook and Twitter presence, and we do all that. That's great. And, you know, I, I love that. It's helped us build this. We couldn't have done it without the technology and the, and the social networks in particular. And... I think what we should use, you know, one use, one good use of digital technology is to get people out from behind their computer or cell phone and into the actual museum to have a real experience with the artwork, unmediated by the technology. You know, uh, we all know today people not only with a special exhibit, but when they walk through a museum today, they tend to walk through with a phone in front of them, and they're looking at the art through the phone. And, um, look, it's, it's the world we live in. I appreciate that. And I, uh, and I say to museums, look, if you want to engage and make a, an interactive experience that millennials will respond to, ironically, at least one way to do that is to get rid of the technology and have them look slowly, directly, and interact with the art through the art of looking. Because that's a deeply immersive and engaged experience. And it, um, I think it's, it's profound. And a lot of young people who work with us are saying this. And by the way, there's a tendency now, a whole trend among millennials, to put the technology away. They were born and raised with it, but they also they don't want it all the time. You know, so look, if you're a museum and you're doing, you know, you have some music and you've got a, you know, free Saturday night or whatever and dancing and that kind of thing, that's, I understand why you're doing that and keep going. But why don't you also think about adding this 
to what you're doing so that there's at least a piece of the, quote, interactive, immersive, new way of attracting audience experience that's about the art itself, what we all care about at the end of the day, as you said. We all love the art. Um, let's let's create experiences where other people can discover that joy for themselves. And, and, and you know, maybe not everyone will have that experience. Surprisingly, it keeps – I keep looking for the person who tells me they've looked for 10 minutes and uh, nothing happened for them. I haven't found it. Now, I've heard people say, I didn't like that piece of art. But interestingly, that's the most trivial thing they have to say about it. I didn't like it, but boy, it made me think of this and that. And I noticed this. Yeah, yeah. Well, races, right? (laughs) <laughs> yes. So, Phil, I am going to interrupt uh, this this sure. beautiful uh, flow of, of thoughts uh, to take our second break. But when yeah. we come back, uh, we will talk a little bit more about some of the great ideas that uh, museums around the country have used to yeah. spark their interest in uh, in looking slowly. Uh, and we will so we will be back in just a moment with more from Phil Terry. This is Carol Bossert from Museum Life. Remember, I love to hear from my listeners. Listeners, uh, please contact me at carol.bossard at verizon.net and let me know what you think about the show and uh, what topics you'd like to be uh, talking about. So we will be back in just a moment. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune into Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. The world we live in has become a crazy place. Poverty is at an all-time high in the wealthiest nation on Earth. We keep calling on government to save us with new programs. And now, we have more people using food stamps than any time in our history. This problem continues to get worse. The answer to poverty is in our homes, churches, and communities, and through our children. Get the answers from The Mickey Ellison Show, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. 
To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and as you know, I am here speaking with Phil Terry, and we're talking about the importance of looking slowly. And Phil, before we go on with with, uh, some of our conversation, at the beginning of this show, you made such a wonderful and generous offer of both your materials and your time. Uh, So would you just uh, briefly repeat that, please, in case people do want to uh, get your book and uh, or or contact you for speaking. Sure. So as I said, Carol, thank you. I'd be happy to send any of your listeners uh, in the U.S. a free copy of my book, customers included. Uh, if they email me at p terry at slowartday dot com, p terry p t e r r y at slowartday dot com, or at p terry at gmail dot com, uh, my team will get you a copy of the book. And I'd also be happy to offer a pro bono uh, speaking at your museum. I'm on a book tour, and I'm speaking to mostly large companies in the, you know, in the private sector. But I'd be happy to come do a pro bono talk um, at your museum uh, when I'm in the area. So you can get in touch with me the same way, and we'll, um, we'll uh, make that happen if you're interested. Fabulous. Just fabulous. So, Phil, I, I know you have uh, so many, you've gotten so much uh, information yeah. and had so much uh, uh, great ideas coming from the participating institutions. So, could you yeah. just share some more of these, uh, these sure. wonderful and creative ideas that people are doing all around the world? Yeah, it's just amazing. So, I mentioned the Harvey Gantt Center for African American Arts and Culture in Charlotte at the beginning of the show and how they brought a dance company in to interpret the art and then had the participants watch the dance and then go look at the art. So that that, that was really impressive. Uh, and then, you know, the Uppsala Art Museum in Uppsala, Sweden, right, which uh, hosted their first slow art day this year, had more than 40 participants. They divided them into groups and then gave each group a booklet with a map, tips on how to look, uh, the time of the end and beginning of, of each round. Um, and then they said uh, 25 people stayed for the discussion, which, and, and she, this is, she's not a native English speaker, so I'm going to share, you, share with you her words, was so vivid that people didn't want to leave at 5 p.m., which was closing time for the museum. The museum was so excited, they decided, well, we're going to stay open late because, you know, we, we can't stop this conversation. Um, and, and that's what we're... That's what we're hearing. Another major museum in the United States that after the slow-looking participants stayed there for a full one and a half hours to talk about five artworks, and the curator said, I'm quite blown away that non-art museum professionals dedicated so much time to looking and talking about a handful of artworks. And uh, I mentioned the uh, National Museum of Women in the Arts, but this is what we're hearing. Wow, I can't, I can't believe it. They... All we did is we put them in front of the art, and then they just we couldn't stop them from talking, and their insights were so interesting, and they were so engaged. Um, the, the Ashmolean Museum of Art at the University of Oxford did something terrific. They had a, a lot of people come. They had them look, 
And then, of course, they're British, right? It's Oxford. So then they serve tea, which is fantastic. Um, and over tea, people talked about the experience. Uh, and some of the quotes that the Ashmolean folks shared with us, great idea. These are quotes from the, from the non-museum art professionals, right? Great idea made me think much more about paintings I would not normally linger over. A wonderful way to spend an afternoon. Having the time to stand and stare at paintings was unusual and rewarding. Third quote. Fourth quote. Very enjoyable. Had a few light bulb moments. And people often report that's their experience. Wow, the light bulb went off. Um, another person said it was great to have time just to look at one painting without interruption and then share ideas before being told anything about the painting. Right, this is what we were what we were talking about before, and I'll just say uh, the curator of art at the Australian War Memorial. Right, so wow, they this was in Canberra, Australia. Uh, they selected works uh, for people to look at, um, and uh, the small group. They said the curator said I was fascinated with, and I mentioned this earlier, how many of the comments got right to the heart of the work. At, at Compton Verney in England, and then at Denison University in Ohio, um, both programs, uh, without speaking to each other, uh, involve, uh, put together slow looking of the art and then also yoga and Tai Chi. At Denison, what they did um, was they reached out to campus groups because the university museum interested in things like yoga, meditation, slow food, and art making, and they collaborated with them to create events around, around each theme, um, incorporating intentional periods of reflection so that participants related to concepts of slow mindfulness to existing interests. Uh, they had over 40 people participate, uh, and uh, each visitor was in the museum for well over an hour. Um, uh, which I think, again, is, uh, is unusual. Um, and they had a lot of new community visitors. Um, and they just talked about how, wow, the, what it, the conversation was so interesting. And then at the, um, I don't know if you know, but there's a Ringling Museum in yes. Florida. In Florida, you know yes, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's, an, it's, a, it's a museum of art. Um, there's also a, a separate museum of, you know, for circus stuff, which is great, too, but there's an art museum. Um, and the art museum participated in Slow Art Day this year, and they put together a whole bunch of different programs, some of which had to do with games for kids and uh, stuff, and then slow looking for adults. But one of the things they discovered is, uh, and, and I've seen this too, is people will say, like I had a friend in, in San Francisco. I went to business school with her, and she has three young boys. And I said, listen, we're going to go to uh, we're going to go to the De Young together. And she said they've never been to an art museum. These are boys, Phil. They're, they're, they're rambunctious. They'll, they'll, they'll never, you know, it won't work. I said, trust me. I understand. I'm a boy myself. <laughs> and I was once young. But, um, but this will work. And so what we did is I brought her and the three boys. We went and we walked into a gallery. And for each gallery, I picked one of the boys. And I said, you're going to pick a piece of art that we're going to look at for three minutes. I did shorten it, but still it was three minutes. So you get to pick it. So in this, you know, gallery, you know, Charlie, you pick it. And the next one, Bob, you get it, whatever. And she was blown away because they, they picked the art. They, they looked together. We all looked for three minutes. And then the conversation that we had was 
unbelievable from five, seven, and nine-year-old boys, right? And in the final room we walked into had, you know, some very modern contemporary art and uh, some stuff from the 60s, including a blank canvas, right? And the boy, the five-year-old boy walks up to that canvas, looks at it for a moment, and turns around and says, I know, I bet, I think he wants us to think about what art is. <laughs> there you go, out of the mouths of babes. I couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, you, you, you need to go to school for 16 years to go to be able to understand that, right? No, actually, you can be five years old. And if you're attuned to it, you will you will see. And so uh, there was a group in South Africa, I think, who went out to the sculpture that was recently done, uh, you know, to the 50th anniversary of the arrest of Nelson Mandela, uh, I think, was recently. And um, they went out. There's a sculpture there out in the middle of nowhere with, um, with bars to represent the, the jail the prison bars, and if you look at the sculpture from a certain perspective, you can see the portrait of Nelson Mandela. Like, I mean, the, we had a group at the, um, uh, we had uh, several years ago the McMurdo Station in Antarctica participate in Slow Art Day. Um, and so, I mean, it's just, it's just the design, and, and there's so much more to share um, that I know will we'll potentially run out of time, but some museums put a lot of work, like Ringling and designing different activities, and Denison. Others said, you know, here's the five pieces and go look. Um, others have turned it into what, what we want to do here, Carol, what the end game is, the vision for the future is we, we're hoping that the annual event basically establishes the power of this kind of programming so that museums will start to develop uh, regular programming along these lines. That, that's our hope. And, you know, Jennifer Roberts at, at Harvard, you know, she, you know, she started assigning her students three-hour looking and then assignments, and she and I have talked and started talking about collaborating, maybe developing some materials for education departments. But, this, you know, at the, at the um, Birmingham Museum of Art, they were a, they're a veteran uh, Slow Art Day host, and uh, several years ago they started Slow Art Sundays. So now every Sunday they have a Slow Art experience there. And what they've reported is that, um, and other museums have reported to us, is that it, it, the, the quality of the conversation, like we've said, but also the depth of the relationship that gets built between those visitors and the museum um, is really powerful. I mean, people have... A, have a relationship to the museum in a way that they didn't have before. And I think everyone, whether they work in fundraising and development or whether they're an educator or curator, I mean, that's the holy grail, right? How do we, how do we create an experience where our community feels, has a real relationship with us and us with them, right? Um, and I don't think this is the only way to do it, but I think it is, it's one way. And, um, you know, we're, we run this program, uh, Slow Art Day. There's, there, at this point, it's completely free of charge. It's all volunteers. By the way, I should mention we have a great internship program with a lot of college students. So if anyone listening to your show is interested in interning as an adult or volunteering as an adult or as a college student, we, we want you. <laughs> Please get in touch with me, P. Terry at slowartday.com or go to slowartday.com and find us. Um, but there's a lot of great social media volunteer opportunities and stuff. And we're, and we're looking at how do we develop this community of educators and curators and hosts around the world and how do we help, help 
people who are running Soul Art Day events connect with each other, not just to learn about Soul Art Day and how they do it, but also to to build those bonds between museums and, and others, uh, art professionals, in a way to help them develop in their own uh, careers. So I think if you know if you if if you like Soul Art Day, you, it turns out you're as a museum professional, you share a number of other. Um, attributes with other museum professionals who also like and are a part of Slow Art Day. You tend to be really passionate about the visitor experience. You tend to be really passionate about thinking about how do we create experiences that engage. Um, and so uh, that's um, that's a little bit about where where we're going and how people might get involved. But do you, do you have more questions, Carol? Or are there other things you think we should touch on? Well, um, yes. Oh, I've, I have hundreds of more questions, but we are going to yeah. probably be uh, coming uh, close to running out yeah. of time. But I do want to just emphasize a few things that that you've yeah. said and put it into a little bit of context within the museum yeah. world. I, to me, what fascinates me so much about the success of this is that it is sort of the old becoming new again. Uh, remember, yeah. there were, you know, only right. it was probably less than 50 years ago where we were de- there were not even things called uh, museum educators in uh, art right. museums because curators thought, well, you just have to open the doors and people will know what to do, and that is look at the art slowly. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think your program is giving people permission, but it is also providing some insights into how people might approach art. And I think that that is yeah. extremely valuable. So I, I do hope that you can develop some of these, uh, these educational programs. It's giving people permission. Uh, and yeah. I and I and I hope uh, that you have plans of broadening it to a a larger community. Uh, you yeah. know, not just uh, students or people in the know. I love right. the story of of the three boys at the De Young. Uh, again, it takes uh, someone who who has a little bit of courage uh, to take young boys. Right. I used to take my young son into uh, the uh, uh, the American Museum of Art, but that was because he liked the elevator the best. And I <laughs> well, the elevator uh, at LACMA in the new building is fabulous for kids too. But I've taken my my, my then three year old boy. Uh, and by the way, I've noticed that young children, especially young boys, really love some contemporary art. Uh, it's uh, that can be that can be quite fun. But you mentioned earlier unapologetic, and I think that's such a great word. I think you know we should be unapologetic. Art is so fundamental to the human experience. There is nothing, absolutely nothing to apologize for. And, in fact, we really should think of it the other way around, not just unapologetic, but demanding of ourselves and of our audiences and of each other to to keep pushing ourselves to figure out what are the experiences, how can we create something that's both accessible and gives people the experience of, of learning how to love art, of loving art, because I think, you know, the simpler we can be, uh, the more profound. And you're right. I mean, this is the old becoming new again, because I'm not, when I sat down and looked at that Hans Hoffman painting and discovered how powerful it was to look slowly at a piece of art, that was not a discovery of, uh, of something that no one has known. I mean, every artist, every art history teacher, professor, uh, every art lover, educator, curator, I think knows this already, but the general public doesn't know it. 
Yes, and 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 Slow Art Day is going to help uh, expand that knowledge. Phil, we are out of time. Uh, I you you and I knew that this would happen. There's so much more that we could talk about, and I hope to get you back on the show, uh, uh, perhaps next year, to tell us even more about how well this is doing. Uh, But so thank thank you so much uh, for your generous time, and we will be back next week with another uh, conversation on music. Life. Until then, thank you for listening. This is Carol Bossert. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 